All right, Alexander, let's talk about the escalation between the United States and China. And here we had an interesting article that was uh, sent to us by Garland Nixon from Politico, which talks about how the Pentagon is in a bit of a, of a panic over the possible uh, conflict on the horizon with China. And of course, this is tied into uh, Ukraine and the demilitarization of the collective West from their involvement in Ukraine and how the, the U.S. Army and the collective West is just in, in a poor state to go head to head with China. So what is going on here? Well, it was a fascinating article. It's one of the most interesting articles I've seen. Now, can I just say, I think what has triggered this article is this internal battle that has been taking place in Washington for some time now, at least since um, December, uh, between some people either within the uniformed military or associated with it, who are becoming increasingly concerned about US involvement in Ukraine, and those people will call the neocons, the hardliners around the president, including the president himself, who want the war in Ukraine to be prosecuted no matter what. They're basically uninterested in any other topic at the present time, though they still want to take the hardest possible line against China. So ever since December, we've seen a certain steady drumbeat of articles and commentaries from these people. I'm going to call them the realists, though it should be very clear they're not really the realists. They are the China War Party. You could argue, in fact, that what you're really looking at is the China War Party versus the Russia War Party. So the China War Party are saying this. We are losing the military race against China. Our industries are very run down. We have severely de-industrialized. Uh, it's interesting the fact that there is now this admission. We have broken supply chains. We depend, as a result of globalization, the very thing that we so zealously promoted and which our friends, the, you know, the globalists, so zealously promoted. We have broken supply chains. We depend on China for an awful lot of our technologies, our raw materials, lithium, whatever. We depend on India to some extent too. Until fairly recently, they depended on Russia as well. I was interested to see they were talking about titanium, for example, but, and saying that it was imported from China. It was until recently, actually, largely imported from Russia. Let's all go up there. Anyway, we've got broken supply chains. We have uh, a withered industrial complex. We have only one broken-down old factory making explosives. Um, we uh, uh, are in no real condition at the moment to take on the Chinese. Their military is building up rapidly in the Pacific. At some point, we're going to find ourselves in a conflict with them. I mean, that seems to be the assumption behind this article, that there's going to be a conflict between the United States and China. And they're going to outgun us in every conceivable respect. They, they, they have 40, 45 to 50% of world ship, shipbuilding. We have less than 1%. 
So if it comes to a naval race, for example, they can outproduce us. They can produce far more ships than we can do. They, can, they have ammunition stocks which are growing and ours are depleting. And what these people are saying is, well, we've got to stop this drain of supplies to Ukraine. We need to start building up our own stocks of weapons, our missiles above all, but also everything else. And we've got to do this fast because we are in danger of giving the Chinese an opening if they want to move against Taiwan, for example. We're not really in a military position to withstand them at the present time. And what this article is also saying is that whenever these officials, these experts, try to get this point across these points across to people in the administration, to people like Lloyd Austin, and well, they don't mention the president, but you can guess who. They're just not listening. They're just not engaging in this discussion. That they continue to insist upon, again, this is, I'm reading a bit more into the article than is there, but you can, it doesn't take much. What they continue to insist on is endless, more endless transfers of more and more equipment to Ukraine. You know, fighter jets, <laughs> missiles, all of these things of which the United States is already running short are being shipped off to Ukraine, even as the Chinese build-up is continuing and as America's industrial base is now so depleted that it can't rapidly replace them. So you can see the, you can see the tension. So this article is telling you they're freaking out about China. And that was the expression used. The Pentagon is freaking out about China. They're scared about the conflict with China. They basically want this conflict in Ukraine to be brought to an end as soon as possible so that they can concentrate on China and on, you know, establishing the strong positions against China. And remember, some of the systems, like the Patriot missile system, are an essential part of the defense system that the United States is trying to create against China. So they're increasingly worried about that. They want the war to end fast. And they're not getting through to the White House. And we've seen a drumbeat of articles recently. So we've had this, this article in Politico. There was another article by a man called Charup, who is from the Council for Foreign Relations and who wrote that Rand Corporation, co-wrote that Rand Corporation report in January that we spoke about recently, which refers to Ukraine as an unwinnable war. And, of course, what he means is unwinnable by the United States, and in which he repeats again, this war needs to be ended as soon as possible in U.S. interests. And, of course, you now have these typically Delphic comments from General Milley. He talks about the fact that the world is divided up into three superpowers, China, Russia, and the United States. He implicitly acknowledges that Russia is a superpower, not just a gas station masquerading as a country with an economy the size of, you know, is it Italy or Texas or the Galapagos? Cyprus, <laughs> I can never remember what, which. Uh, 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 and um, what all of these people are saying is, look, we've got, to, we've got to end this. We're 
we're being drawn in too far. It's getting dangerous for us. It's dangerous because we could find ourselves in an uncontrollable escalation with the Russians, who are the world's leading nuclear power. And, of course, we are creating an opening for the Chinese in the Pacific, um, where we expect, because that's implicit here, we expect to be at war with them before very long. Is it fair to, to say that, uh, and this is going to be a simple explanation, so just keep in mind that I'm just trying to explain things in a very simple way with, with this uh, political article. Is it fair to say that the United States, the, the Biden White House is bogged down in Ukraine because it is the State Department that is so invested in Ukraine, Newland, Blinken, Hillary Clinton, behind the curtain, Biden, Burisma, Hunter Biden. They're the ones that will never, ever let Ukraine, this Ukraine conflict end. So they've bogged down the U.S. in, in Ukraine, while the Pentagon, and I don't want to say the Pentagon doesn't want war or doesn't like war, it's the Pentagon, but the Pentagon, for the most part, would like to see Ukraine wrap up so that they can focus on China. Once again, I'm not saying the Pentagon is, is not keen on conflict in, in Ukraine, but in general, the State Department is 100% Ukraine. They don't want to hear anything about China, while the, the Pentagon is like, look, we tried Ukraine, didn't work out, we need to shift to, to China now. Absolutely. That's exactly what it is. It's a battle between the State Department and the Pentagon. And there are sections of the intelligence community in the United States that tilt to the one and others which tilt to the other. Though I get the sense that the intelligence community is starting to coalesce around the Pentagon's thinking. That's my sort of overall feeling here. But that's, I mean, I think you've, you've, you've said it exactly correct. The problem is that the Biden himself and Jake Sullivan and the team in the White House are wholly invested in Project Ukraine. And it, it, it's, they're not wanting to listen to um, advice, to warnings that they're setting the United States on an incredibly reckless and dangerous path. I mean... The, the, the neocons have their rationalizations. You know, you break Russia, you break it up, you then find yourself in a position where you can isolate China and do all of those things. I'm starting to suspect that these plans, which they've never completely given up, are becoming less plans now but more rationalizations for something in which they're emotionally, even viscerally invested, and which they just can't, can't give up on. I mean, they have this extraordinary hostility to Russia, which basically blinds them almost to everything else. So I, I, think, I think that's... I think, anyway, you've summed it, you've summed it up... Um, you've summed it up very well. And you could... If you, drill through this article, you can see some of the internal debates that are going on, because, of course, I've discussed many times, the neocons never want to accept that there are limits to what the United States can do. And to a great extent, 
the neocons are also a faith-based community. They believe that if the United States turns to doing something, it will happen. Because, hey, it's the United States. It can't possibly be restricted in that sort of way. So you can see some of the arguments that they say, look, we were able to take on Germany and Japan in the 1940s, and they were formidable adversaries. We outproduced them in the 1940s. We can do the same with China and Russia. And then you have a whole section in this article which actually takes that on. So, you know, we're not in the same situation. China and Russia, far more formidable industrial adversaries than Germany and Japan ever were. Japan, in 1941, had 10% of the US's GDP. So, I mean, you know, we're not talking about like and like. And our industrial base is no longer what it was in the 1940s. In the 1940s, we had our own secure supply chains. It was actually by far the biggest industrial base in the world. Today, our supply chains are broken. They depend a lot on imports from overseas. We can't just crank out weapons at the press of a button, as we did then. And, in fact, there was one uh, of the people who were contributed to this article, who said even if you throw a, a trillion dollars at the US budget demanding just weapons, you won't get them because the capacity to produce them isn't there. So you can see this argument going backwards and forwards. The neocons, as I say, taking an ideological view, refusing to acknowledge the military-industrial realities, the Pentagon people who have to deal with these realities. I mean, the Pentagon, the chiefs of staff, are all ultimately about logistics, about numbers of weapons, about placements of weapons in various places, about building ships, building aircraft, all of those things, trying to get these people to understand. No, it doesn't work that way. It isn't how you think. If you remember, before the sanctions, we had the same kind of discussions. We had all the economic experts, people from the Federal Reserve Board coming along saying, don't cut off Russia from SWIFT. It isn't going to achieve what you think. Don't uh, uh, do some of these crazy things that you're talking about. And, of course, what they did was they ignored the experts. They were convinced that Russia was the gas station masquerading at the as the country, they cut off Russia from SWIFT, they seized the Russian central bank's reserves without giving any indication to the Fed that that was what they were planning to do. And, of course, it didn't work, but these people don't listen to experts. Yeah, I think you summed it up uh, really well there. I mean, the, the whole thing with, with this fight between do we go after China now or, or do we continue on Project Ukraine? I, I think you're dealing with a Biden White House and a State Department, which is, which is emotional about, about Russia. Their hatred for Russia consumes them. They're bigoted towards uh, Russians. I mean, they, they obviously consider Russians to be a lesser than, than them. And, and they express that continuously. They're, uh, they, they have a lot of tied-up business interests, whether you talk about Hillary Clinton, 
and uh, the Clinton Foundation, or whether you talk about uh, Biden and Hunter and Burisma. Uh, so, so you have a lot of greed in there as well. And, and, and you have all of these, these, uh, these, these emotions and these, these interests that, that are inherent to the State Department, to the Biden White House, and, and it propels them to continue down this, this Project Ukraine path where the Pentagon is, seems to be taking the approach of, of we're, the, we're, we're losing our status as hegemon. Perhaps it's actually lost now. And, you know, how do we, how do we stop China from, from overtaking us? I guess it's a more classic Thucydides trap that the Pentagon is, is, is projecting towards China, where Russia and Ukraine seems to be less of a Thucydides trap and more of... Of we just we just, we hate them. We hate them. We have to destroy them. We hate Putin. We have to destroy him. And uh, the reasons we have to destroy them are because uh, I have family issues. I have business issues. I have greed issues. Whatever it is, but it's not the classic Thucydides trap that we've discussed on on multiple videos. China is a Thucydides trap. Exactly. You're completely right. And I think that's I think you summed it up perfectly. I would say. The, I mean, for me personally, reading these, this article, I mean, it, it, the thing that I found really extraordinary is the degree of belligerence. <laughs> the idea that, you know, one side, for visceral reasons, as you said, sheer loathing, if you want to use a simpler word, hatred, if you like, uh, 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 of Russia, want to perpetuate a conflict with the Russians. But the other side are... Well, they're a bit more grounded and a bit more focused on the realities. And as we said, they have to deal with the actual material facts. But they still are thinking about a war, only this time a war with China, because they're terrified that if they don't have this war and they don't prevail, then in 5, 10, 20 years' time, China will overtake the United States and will emerge once and for all as the new great power superseding the United States. And that is something which some people in the Pentagon, in fact, not just in the Pentagon, and throughout the political system in the United States, they find that unthinkable. They just can't accept it, and they're prepared to take disastrous risks to try to prevent it. So that's, that's the kind of struggle. It's a purely visceral one on the one side it's the other one is based upon insecurities fears that the american century is ending if you like that for this period when the united states was the most powerful country and the richest country in the world is coming to an end an unwillingness to accept that and in fact, a downright absolute refusal to accept that and in place of that, a willingness to take catastrophic risks of a war with China, but also a realistic understanding, if you like, that this conflict in Ukraine is not just a massive distraction, but an extremely dangerous drain on resources. Who, who wins out? Pentagon or the State Department? You know, in time, eventually... If, if this thing were to play out over, say, two or three years, the Pentagon would win. I mean, you know, they've they, they got all the better arguments. They've probably got the wider support within the U.S. political class 
they would win through. But of course, what the, the risk is that the neocons, the State Department people, understand this, and at some level, I mean, the one thing that the neocons are is ex extremely skilled bureaucratic fighters. So what they will try and do is because they know that eventually the Pentagon people will win through, you know, with the backing of the military industrial people and all of those people, that they will eventually win through. So what they will try and do is that they will intensify the demands for an escalation in Ukraine even more whilst they still have the ascendancy. So it, it will make them just more urgent and even more insistent on escalation in Ukraine, partly because they sense that over time the, the wind is starting to turn against them. See, this is where, again, you, Vietnam parallels are interesting and important because something very similar happened in the late 1960s was that the United States was massively committed to Vietnam. Its military, was, its, its industries were churning out, you know, Huey helicopters and tanks and things like that to fight in Vietnam. And the result was the United States started to run a trade deficit, which is putting pressure on the dollar at that time, and eventually forced it off the gold standard. But more importantly still, the Soviets at that time were engaged in a big nuclear build-up. And the Pentagon started to get concerned, and the Pentagon started to say, look, we're wasting our time in Vietnam, an unimportant country, and in the meantime, we're in real danger of being under, uh, overtaken in the nuclear arms race by the Soviets. So the Pentagon was, it's not widely known, but it was one of the major groups that insisted eventually on reducing the commitment to Vietnam. The, and you could see something like that playing out again this time. But of course, that happened in the 60s and 70s. There wasn't a faction like the neocons in existence in Washington in the 1970s, 60s and 70s. They didn't have the ideological fervour that the neocons do, or, or the visceral feelings that the neocons have. And I'm afraid the time horizons this time are much shorter, and that's what makes the situation very dangerous. All right, we will leave it there, thedurant.locals.com. We are on Odyssey, BitChute, Rumble, and Telegram. And go to the Durant shop, 10% off. Use the code, good day.